that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast, your weekly dose of Italian American heritage, history, and hilarity. I'm John Viola with my partners in crime, the notorious P.O.B. Patrick O'Boyle and the Bella Bensonhurst, Miss Rosella Rago. All three of us are hot on the heels of an amazing weekend spent together in a wonderful little town in the slate belt of Pennsylvania, they, they tell us, uh, the wonderful town of Rosetto, P.A., and we just thought it would be a great opportunity to get together on the mic and share with you, our audience, because obviously the videos that we make take a while to come out. There's so much editing to be done after days and days and days of footage. But I think we're all excited to share the experience we had in this unique little town. And uh, I don't know, guys, I thought it was a great weekend, right? It was fantastic. I mean, uh, we met so many nice. The people were sickeningly nice. They were, right? It, they were so I mean. Everywhere we went, it was homemade wine here and come in and, and sit down here. And the, what can we do for you here? Everybody, they were the nicest people ever. Yeah, you could not have asked for nicer people. Yeah. They could not have possibly given us a warmer reception. No. Later in the episode, we're going to shout out all the names that we owe a thank you to because there's just so many. I mean, we have so many people to thank. I mean, we just kept calling it the nicest place in Italian America. So that just kept coming to my head, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I if they were any nicer, they would have been like not Italian. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It was also interesting to me because the way we went about going there, you know, Rosetto is a destination that if any of our long term listeners remember, we set out pretty early on in the Italian American power hour era to do an episode of our Italian American bucket list. And Rosetto was on there for me because Rosetto has been covered a lot in Italian-American media, in, in American media, and global media, because in the 1960s, the town was the focus of a study by uh, doctors from the University of Oklahoma. This is uh, Dr. Stuart Wolf and his team. And they found that despite the town's dietary habits, all of the different things that they did, the people in Rosetto died at a very, very significantly less rate from heart disease than anybody else in the rest of the United States. It was an outlier. And they studied the town from like 1954 to 1961. There was almost no heart attacks in an otherwise pretty high risk group of men between like 55 to 64. Men over 65 had a lesser rate, you know, continues on and on and on. And they created the term the Rosetto effect. And they basically said like these people all came from one town, Rosetto in Puglia, Italy. They came to this little town in Pennsylvania in the slate belt. And these doctors attributed their health and longevity to the idea that they felt good and safe and secure living in this extended kinship group. And it was called the Rosetto effect. And, and for me, I've always really wanted to see that place and its feast in action. So this was a great excuse to do it. The times lined up for us because their big time, their celebration of Our Lady of Mount Carmel turned 130 years old this year. So I thought it was perfect. We got to do it. And we really didn't know anybody. Stephanie had a few contacts here and there. And we were sort of scrambling as we approached. We didn't even really know when to go. And, and thank goodness, we found an Airbnb about five minutes from town. It was the only lodging we could find within a few minutes driving. And our Airbnb hostess asked us if she could introduce us to anyone. 
And she sent us to a guy named Frankie Comunal, Comunale, and he brought us to Michelle and the entire Gafredo family. And we had uh, listeners come out. Uh, one of our listeners, Juliana Palma, she came out and joined us when she heard we were in town. And really, the, the whole town opened themselves up to us, even though we were there on very, very short notice. I don't know. I, I just felt so welcomed. And we have so many people to thank as, uh, as the episode progresses. But it was really, really nice. And thank goodness we picked the right Airbnb because I felt like we were family there immediately. I don't know about you guys. That B&B was a palace. It was a farmhouse that was darling. It was like a farmhouse from the 1800s. They totally updated it with every, you know, modern touch, but it, it was still very vintage and so cute. I mean, I wish we could stay longer. We spent a night there and it was just so like sweet. And Pat, didn't you love the B&B? I was kind of stunned because they went out and purchased an Italian flag. <laughs> food in front of the house yeah. they went out and got it and these were not italian people to the best of my knowledge they went and got italian cookies i don't know where they went to get them they were beautiful in this little tray with the cover they had an adriana trajani book i mean they could not have got they had farm eggs in the refrigerator for us they could not and john knows i'm a hilton snob john knows this i was very apprehensive about going to an airbnb yes i was in panic mode but I got to say, they really, it was beautiful. If you guys are looking to go, if you're in the Allen, you want to just go to like the Allentown, Pennsylvania area for a nice little weekend away, that's a, it was a, it was a lovely experience. I couldn't recommend it. And immaculately clean. Yes, it was. Yes, it was very, very, it was perfect. And when I filled out the form, they asked us why we were coming. They had a prohibition on uh, commercial filming and stuff. So I wanted to be transparent and say we were filming. Greetings from Italian America. And uh, our hostess went out and watched the episodes and was so excited, her and her husband. And yeah, they went out and got an Italian flag to welcome us. It was amazing. It was indicative of everything that was to come over the course of the weekend. And I think for me, you know, we, we talked a lot with people about the Rosetto effect and the medical studies and longevity and these things. And we interviewed people in their 90s, a centenarian who was absolutely you would have mistaken her for 75, a really incredible lady, Filomena Chiliberti, and uh, her son James helped set it up, and just an unbelievable lady and uh, font of recollections. We, we interviewed a 90-year-old, the former mayor, Mayor Confalone, who was absolutely so welcoming, but it wasn't really just about Rosetto and the Rosetto effect. It was really about the big-time celebration and everybody coming home for the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And it really did feel like a homecoming, right? It really did. It felt like, you know, even though they recognized that, you know, Rosetto has changed. I mean, but Rosetto, comparatively to what it was in its glory, is sort of a ghost town. I mean, th there's one store left in the entire community, Ruggiero's uh, Grocery. They have no restaurants. They have no businesses, so to speak. But... They really don't care. They still keep coming back to Rosetto. They still keep uh, putting up their daughters to be queens of the big time, selling tickets. I mean, I just couldn't believe the massive community effort to fundraise and sell these tickets. The queen of the big time 2023 raised $30,000. Yeah. An 18-year-old girl went out there and raised $30,000. You know, I, I can't even get, you know, my uncles to give me a hundred dollars in the booster for my birthday anymore. <laughs> yeah, you, the birthday gifts are over now. I can tell you that much. But yeah, it's unbelievable, right? And yeah, 
the queen that Rosella is referring to is a young lady named Sofia Albanese. And she and the Princess Isabella Reto and all of the court, it's a tradition that they've had in Rosetto for a very long time where the young ladies of the community go out and sell tickets to support the event, to support the church, Our Lady Mount Carmel Church. And she who sells the most is crowned the queen. And then the next day she gets to crown the Blessed Mother before a rosary procession through town, which I thought was amazing because we've participated in a lot of processions over the years, different feasts, but this was a very, very reverent and quiet and reflective rosary prayer and procession throughout the town. It was just beautiful because like Ro points out, you could see you know, town's lost a lot of its businesses. It's been really impacted by the depletion of the American slate industry. I didn't know going into it that there was at one point, somebody told me 40 blouse making operations to make women's blouses in the town. And now I, I think there's maybe one left, but uh, you know, changes in us trade policy and uh, the economic impact over the years has made the town really suffer because it doesn't have any of the central business that it used to have. It lost its uh, Catholic grade school, its Catholic high school, both of which are a big part of the identity and of the livelihood, but people are still coming back and you know, younger generations are still coming back and uh, it was slammed. I mean, it was a very busy and significant crowd while we were there. And when we pulled up, it felt like we were the only people in town. And then all of a sudden the place filled up. You know, the thing that was so magical about Rosetta is that we were roughly two hours from New York city, but we felt like we were somewhere in the Midwest or the Southwest or somewhere very far away from, you know, the hustle and bustle, the grinds of New York. And the, the thing that the big time stuck out to me is that it was such a perfect blend of Americana, civic pride, you know, that like Pleasantville movie, kind of leave it to Beaver, Norman Rockwell, America, and Italian tradition. It was such a perfect, you know, balance of those two things. Because it was just, you know, it felt very, you know, homecoming queen. Uh, but, you know, her father has tears in his eyes. He's wearing an Italian shirt, like Forza Zuri. Like, yeah. these are Italian people with the Americana values. And I just thought it was so beautiful to watch them be so happy. Even though there's no more stores in the town. There's no more anything going on. There's yeah, no more can, I, can I answer that a second? And I, I think that. You, Ro, you're coming from the perspective of Brooklyn. That's a really big place, right? No, but I'm saying beautiful how small town it was. It reminded me of being in like, it, it was like the perfect transplant of a small Pugliese town stuck into America where the church is, you know, basically in the piazza and everybody knows each other and everybody's kind of related and everybody knows each other's business. But uh, these people were, were really happy. Like the Rosetto effect to me is still very real because these were some of the happiest Italian-Americans I have ever met. Because I think a lot of it has to do with they have a very strong sense of place. They're very proud of who they are and they have a very strong connectedness. I think the fire department was the absolute number one example of that. Oh, yeah. This fire department, the entire fire department is all volunteers and they took us through the firehouse and they're going through all their like their their uniforms. And 
it's all like the same two last names. Gofredo, 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 Martino, Gofredo, Gofredo. This is such a, it was such a brotherhood. It like, and then their bar that they built that might be illegal. I'm not even sure. <laughs> no, no, it's allowed. <laughs> it was so amazing. I mean, just all these guys like hanging out, smoking, drinking, homemade wine here. And, and these gentlemen spend a week making like 1,400 pounds of homemade sausage for the festival. Yeah. Beautiful. It is beautiful. That was amazing to me. The idea that like at the sausage and pepper stand, you know, it's not like here where it's vendors and, you know, companies that come into all the feasts in the Northeast. It was sausage to a, a secret recipe made by the town altogether. The fire department sells it. They staffed the booth. It was just it was really amazing how it felt like a community picnic. Like when you said, well, we were there. If Norman Rockwell was Italian-American, this would have been what he was painting. I totally understood that. It was really a perfect blend. And you felt so part of the community from the very, very get go. I mean, you know, we mentioned the Gafredo family at the fire department. But uh, when we got there, Michelle, who is their sister, welcomed us as if we'd known her forever. She had all this information to share with us, old family artifacts and heirlooms. And they watched out for us the entirety of our time there. They took us around in their quads that they used to set up the feast because it, it happens at two sites. It happens at the, uh, like Rose says, kind of the piazza outside of the Church of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and the areas around that, the parking lot. But it also then happens down the hill where the old Catholic grade school used to be, where the fun fair is and all of those sort of carnival rides and things. And, uh, of course, we had to make our way down there to the fun fair portion of it because we had to see Lorna Cretolo, and uh, she is the woman behind the pizza frites, their fried dough, which is a big tradition for them. It's really delicious. And uh, I say that now I'm, I'm thinking about it. My mouth is watering. But, you know, here's the people, the community together rocking these things out. They had like a massive machine that they had on loan from a bakery. And it was just a whole town tied together, enjoying everything. So many people out on their patios or stoops or porches, whatever you want to call them, just you know, being a part of the celebration, whether they were actually going to this stuff or not, they were just sort of outside on the street enjoying each other and everybody saying hello. It was beautiful. I can't say enough how beautiful and heartwarming of an experience it was. And to your point, Ro, it was an hour and 15 minutes from Pat's house when we picked Pat up. Yeah, I mean, it, it just felt like it felt like a different time. It felt like a different place. Um it just felt like it, it actually, it really did mostly feel like a different time to me. It didn't feel like full 2023 hysteria. It felt like there was still a lot of like 1950s, like old school values. Yeah. You felt protected. I, I totally understand the for us. I mean, maybe for them, the Rosetto effect is gone because some people have moved out and the industries are good. But for us coming into it, Knowing everybody, like I always used to say, you know, I moved around a lot growing up, right? And we left our neighborhood and we went to Jersey. Then I came back to the city and, you know, my father's neighborhood, even though I was born there, wasn't mine per se. And I, I never had, I always felt like a, a neighborhood person without a neighborhood. And I remember when I first moved here and found all these Italian businesses up the street and I told Brendan and Pat how great the cannoli were. And one day, Brendan sends me a picture that he's down the block from me. So 
I drove over there and me, him and Tony Manja and Tony Manja's wife, Elmina, we got to enjoy just, you know, sitting in the cafe together, having coffees, little snacks here and there, just catching up. And I thought, man, I wish I could walk out of my house and do this every night, just hang out with my people and my tribe. And I think that that's a big part of what it is in Rosetta is that you are surrounded by your people and people that you're related to. I mean, the majority of the town comes from Rosetto in Puglia. So they, they're, you know, kinship relations are very, very real, but man, that's, that's something very, very lucky in times like these today. You know, I mean, Pat, you kind of have that North Arlington. No, I have a hundred percent. That's why I think I get, that's more, I understand the sense of try because you went to grammar school together. You went to high school together. And you know everybody and you know their life, the good times, the bad times. Yeah, I think I have a much stronger sense of that identity of place. It's a different perspective because I understand how that happens. Because they all know each other. They know each other's business. You know, they were there for good times, for bad times. And it kind of makes a cohesiveness. But I also think that there's kind of a glue factor that comes out from the fact that they had an added level of togetherness because they came from the same town in, in Italy. I mean, Rosetto was what, like, between Rosetto and Bicari, Eric Uccetta, to their credit, that's kind of like the, the minor, I see, because like the minor player in the Rosetto story, two neighboring towns. Everybody was from those places, like the majority, the vast majority of people there. So when they came over, those ties that in Italy go back thousands of years, like these towns do, were just supplanted in, in this little hamlet in Pennsylvania, which is geographically isolated also. Um, the fact that they were, when, when they got there, the Welsh who were there and the, I would say the wasps to, 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 as a general broad sense, but there was, it was a very strong, um, Welsh mining community kind of said to the Italians, all right, you're here now, like, don't live with us. We're going to give you kind of like a, a rough piece of parcel of land outside of Bangor, which I guess is the, the neighboring town. If I, if, if what I learned was correct and this is going to be where you guys live, but that isolation of, we don't want to live with the Italians allowed the Italians to form a very strong community, tied with the fact they were all from the same place in Italy. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, I found it really interesting. Somebody that I was talking to was telling me that the Italians were segregated into what became Rosetto. They were given this land, right? It was apparently undesirable land because it was up on the hills and not in the valley. So it was a little bit harder to get to. And they built this amazing village, really, surrounding this church. Uh, 130 years that they've been doing this celebration, the big time for Our Lady of Mount Carmel. But the gentleman was telling me, and I can't remember who it was. I'm sorry. I hope they're listening because we had a lot of listeners in town too, which was amazing. But uh, he was telling me that when they settled the town, eventually over time, not only did they then start to move into and buy up the other, you know, Banger and Penn Argyle and all these little places that are, you know, hamlets within the same sort of geography, but by the time that the slate industry really died, uh, I guess it would be the late 70s, 80s, whatever it was, most of the slate mines were owned by Italian families at that point. So they not only 
sort of thrived in their isolation, but they spread into all the other aspects of civic and business life in that area. And it's just a great success story. Unfortunately, it's now suffered the ramifications of the real disappearance of those industries. But man, it was really a wonderful success story to see this Italian village that had been born out of segregation, really, but grew and thrived because of the love of the people there that they made us feel really loved. Uh, you could feel it right away. And, and, you know, Pat, you pointed out, you know, it's the end of July. Uh, Our Lady Mount Carmel happens in the middle of July. And it was a tradition brought from Rosetto in Puglia that they've always had it at this date, right? Correct. It's in, in Rosetto. It's also in both Rosettos, in the Rosetto in Italy and the Rosetto here. It's both the last Sunday in July because in Italy, they celebrated in the last Sunday of July because I guess around July 16th was when they harvested their grain. So that's why I was told that's why they celebrate on the last Sunday in July. That's so interesting. You know, these little quirks of the history brought over. I mean, we, we go to a lot of feasts. Not only was it a great celebration filled in by a ton of people coming home, you know, from all over the country, all over the world. Uh, it was just a really good, enjoyable feast. I mean, you can't beat somewhere where the sausage for the sausage peppers is made on site. That's a great, you know, they have the, the macaroni tent every night of the week. They have a different kind of pasta that they make. And so it's very homemade feeling, which is wonderful. But it's also, um, it felt like a really religious feast too. A lot of these feasts sort of the religious components get downplayed, but this really did feel like a town where it grew out of the parish. The parish was the geographic heart of the town, but it was also the emotional heart of the town. Did, did you find that? Yeah, you know what I found that I that smelled this of familiarity. That feast was not for outsiders, and not in the sense of that. There's a lot of feasts in New Jersey who remain nameless that are fundraisers, right? So they put on a feast and the goal is to make as money as much money as possible for whatever their organization or church or whatever it is. And I think when you make that the goal, you kind of fail in some senses. Um, but Rosetto had a big party. It's like home. It's like uh, old home week, right? Everybody homecoming, everybody comes home. And I think it was a celebration of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and of Rosetta's identity. And I think that's why it's successful. Because the idea was we're going to throw a big party. And if you want to come, come. That party was for them. Yeah, That's their own internal celebration. And I think that's the real essence of an Italian feast. Americans don't get that. When the Italians came to the U.S. and they had Irish pastors and Irish bishops, that was the number one conflict with the whole feast tradition. Because the Irish just assumed it was a bazaar to be a fundraiser to either pay off the church mortgage or to pay off the school or to build a new school. And when the Italians were like, well, this is the patron saint of our town and we're going to throw a big party. And, um, you know, that's, that's the goal of this. The Irish couldn't understand it. There's a great anecdote in the book, uh, Archbishop Corrigan and the Italian immigrants. Corrigan had been um, the Archbishop of New, of New York at the height of the Italian immigration to the U.S. at the end of the 19th century. They relate a story that one of the parishes that had an Italian community like raised, let's say, thousands of dollars in the 1890s, which is a huge amount of money um, for a feast. And when the Italians were going around because they would do a collection, they ask all the Bizons to chip in for the feast. The pastor said, wow, what a great fundraiser. So we're going to be able to like fill in the blank. And so after the feast, he went up to the Italian committee. So the Irish uh, priest goes up to the Italian feast committee and says, well, what are the profits? And they handed him like $1.36. 
And the Irish priest went absolutely bananas and thought it was, you know, they pocketed it or they're a bunch of drunks and degenerates. And he didn't understand that they threw a party for the sense of throwing a party. Yeah. Goal was not the goal is whatever we make is what we're going to spend. And I thought Rosetto is the only place that I know of. And I might be wrong. Marty Caliendo would be a better expert in this that still has the band concert. Yeah. The nighttime entertainment. That's a very Italian thing. That's almost died out. Ninety nine percent of the feasts. Yeah, that was really interesting. They had the Lehigh Valley Italian Feast Band, and uh, they they did the processions. They did the crowning of the queen, and then they processed down the hill to the funfair portion of the feast, and uh, they held a concert, just like they used to in all the old bandstands, and it was a really beautiful concert, and people sat down. They enjoyed their food. You know, kids were on the ride. It did have that sense. I had this moment, Pat, and I and Brendan and Tony Manja, we went in to see the night lift for the Giglio this year in my old neighborhood. And, you know, the night lift is really an interesting one because it is a lot of people that come back from the community, but it's also a lot of like local families that are participatory. You get some, you know, tourist traffic, if you will, but it's a little bit more like, you you know, everybody, you see everybody and the, and the regular, you know, Giglio Sunday is always such a gigantic crowd that it's hard to kind of see everybody you want to but we were up on the roof with sabino and our friends from grown up italian we were watching the night lift and the sun was setting and i'm looking out at the statue and i thought to myself wow you know i wish i could have experienced those days like my dad and his brother and sister did when you'd go to the feast and everybody there was from the community it was for you or for them and you could just like walk home and know that you were coming out again the next night and the feast was going to be there because it was a community event and not a tourist destination. And, you know, my dad always talks about Our Lady of the Snow. My feast is coming up this weekend. And as great as it is that this feast has lasted since 1888, in his childhood, it was also uh, nights long, week long, whatever. And they had, you know, this, the street closures and booths and things like the bigger feasts. And it was just theirs. It was their block party, family reunion, you know, old home week, as you said, Pat call it what you want, but uh, it was nice to experience one that still felt like that, you know? Well, I think the big difference is if you go to the Giglio now, the Giglio, if you look at the old Giglio videos from the 90s, or the, even more so the 80s, there's still so many Italians living in that neighborhood that you still have to feel that it's a party for the people who are there. And Williamsburg now is what? What's the hipster population? 90%? Yeah, I don't know, but it's big. 85%. So I feel like the the hipsters, the non-Italian uh, Italian Americans who are removed from who, from their own background and, and the hipster general population walks in and I don't know what goes through their brains. Do they look at it like they're looking through a menagerie, like the monkeys in the zoo? You know, are they kind of um, fascinated by Are they just not interested and they just want a, a beer? I have no idea what goes through their minds. Uh, maybe I, I take it from a pejorative sense because I've heard negative comments that come from some of them about the people who still live there as leftovers. But sure, all these places, um, St. Anne and Hoboken, um, the Assumption Feast at Holy Rosary in Jersey City, it's less and less local people and it's more and more hipsters outside people who are not connected. And then, then the transformation becomes, okay, well, this is a fundraiser to get these people who live in the neighborhood now to buy a beer or buy a sausage sandwich, which will eventually contribute to the upkeep of these parishes or whatever the institution is. But it's, it's less. And you used to have a lot more people who came back for them. 
But that boomer generation is starting to pass now. They're starting to go down the same track that the greatest generation did. So, yes, they moved out in the 70s and the 80s and they moved to suburbia. But, you know, there's less and less of them. Some have mobility issues and stuff that happens in your 70s. COVID took a hit. So there's less of them coming back. But it wouldn't be the Italian-American podcast if you didn't give me an opportunity to be negative. <laughs> you, well, I want to thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. We had such a wonderful, happy, positive trip. I'm glad I got to sprinkle a little bit of negativity. Over <laughs> well, the entire. But you, you were very so, positive throughout, though. They were fantastic. I had, a, yeah. I had a blast. I had a blast. I wish I could try their kava zooms. Maybe if they make us some kava zooms, we can go back. Oh yeah, you've been talking about that. Now explain to our audience because there's a cookbook that was written by a woman who just passed a few months ago at like 106, I think they said. Uh, I was able to track one down on eBay, but there's a cookbook for the community. And you found in there a recipe that you're dying to try, correct? I've tried it. A Kavazoon, I've tried it. I had it in Youngstown, Ohio. And the interesting thing is that must be Youngstown, I believe. Don't quote me on this. I think Youngstown had some people from Rosetto, had a Rosetto colony. I don't want to go to the bank on that. A much smaller one. Kavazoon is like a, uh, I'll use the word calzone. Um, it was this, there's a savory one that has rigotte in it. Um, that's a fried calzone that's eaten for Fat Tuesday at the end of Carnival. But there's also a sweet one that's eaten at Christmas. And it's mashed chickpeas mixed with sugar. Some people put cocoa in it. And they mix that up. You can't, you'll never tell that there's the chickpea base. So it's sugar, chickpeas, and cocoa. And it's stuffed in a calzone and it's fried. And that's like a sweet treat. But in a lot of parts of Italy where they didn't have chestnuts, because that in Calabria and Basilicata and the southern part of Salerno and the Cilento, that's a very common Christmas dessert, are pastries that are fried and stuffed with um, mashed up chestnuts. A little bit of sugar, a little bit of cocoa, depending on the town you're in. Some people put marmalade in. And if you were too poor to have chestnuts or you didn't have chestnut trees around, you substituted chickpeas in place of the chestnuts. And you kind of dressed them up with the cocoa so they didn't taste like chickpeas and they taste them like a dessert. And they're excellent. I've had them previously in Ohio. And that's a culinary tradition because when I asked around, I kind of got the feeling that nobody made them anymore. That was the vibe I got. And no one made the savory ones with the regard for Carnival. So if they did a resurrection, John, can we take a, a little ride back there and do a postcard? <laughs> you bet we can. I'll go, I, I, my mouth's watering hearing about these things because I love the, the ones made with Castagna. Just an FYI, guys, Pat, which this is the most brilliant thing you've ever thought of, Pat. Pat wants to launch a new little mini-series called Postcards from Italian America. And I think it's brilliant. I hope John thinks it's brilliant. But we want you guys to tell us if you want us to do this. Because otherwise, Pat just will think that nobody listens to us and nobody likes us and nobody wants to watch us. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. I think, I think you know, we, we so much gets lost on the cutting room floor of our multiple day trips. and. We do so many of these things uh, on a daily basis anyway, right here in our backyard. And, you know, we get to travel and we get to capture all this stuff. And a lot of it, you know, just doesn't fit into the storytelling. So, yes, I think Pat's absolutely right. If Greetings from Italian America has been successful, I think postcards uh, will be an, an equally successful pursuit. And maybe even more so because these little digestible bites are really exciting. So I, I have every intention in the world of being back in Rosetto at some point, hopefully for the feast. If we, I will convince. not go back if there's no Cavazoons. They got to bring <laughs> this back. I'm going to put a fatwa down. <laughs> I will I'll put a band down. They have to bring this back because it's such a great part of their heritage. I, I don't, you know, 
I'm all about resurrecting things because it's really anthropological. It's like, well, you can't, you know, you got to move on and let things go. That's so opposite. I want to bring it back, especially gastronomic stuff. I don't blame you. And you've done a good job of stuff like that. Yeah, because uh, gastronomic stuff is fun. And it's all healthy food. I mean, if you're going to have a dessert, why not have it made out of chickpeas? <laughs> I totally agree with you. You love the chickpea chestnut uh, combination. You know, you, you're very into like pasty things, you know, sweetened with like some kind of dried fruit. I don't know. Yeah, he does love that. I love that too. I'm a big fan of that. Does that make me a medievalist? No. Astronomic medievalist? I was just noticing. I just noticed things. I noticed your palate. Yeah. It's a simple beauty. The most beautiful things in life are sometimes the simplest. And you know what? I'm getting more into this because now it's also vegan. Mm. Nicole Mucciolo, you're a vegan. You can no, eat- it can't. it's not vegan if you're going to make dough. Why? Got eggs in it. Eggs Maybe in, the, eggs. The dough, you don't need the dough in the gazon dough unless they put it in. You could do flour and water dough. And you could stuff it with chickpeas, sugar, and cocoa on Friday and olive oil. And the, and the vegan who go. comes to your Christmas, that then I'm then. Now, the one with the rigotti, if you, a vegetarian could eat that. Yes. But, you know, for the vegan in the family. This summer, celebrate Italy and how you, Italian-American with Mediaset Italia, want to picnic Italiano with your very own exclusive Mediaset Italia wine and cheese picnic pack? Keep listening for how to share your Italian pride and win. What's a Picnic Italiano pack? We've got a custom wine tote, mini cheese board and knife set, portable fleece picnic blanket, a wine aerator, a stainless steel tumbler set, a wine opener, and Italy-themed magnetic poetry and wine bottle-shaped stress reliever just for some fun. Entering to win is easy and all on Instagram. Snap a pic or tag one of your favorite photos that scream Italian-American, loving Italy, or Italian culture. Post to your Instagram account and use the hashtag iHeartMediasetItalia. Be sure to follow us too at MediasetItaliaUSA. Each week, MediasetItalia USA will choose a winning photo to receive their exclusive Picnic Italiano prize pack. This contest is open to residents of the continental United States. Visit our post on Instagram at MediasetItaliaUSA for more information, terms, and conditions. See, I'm, I'm, I'm hip. You don't make me happy. I'm hip. I'm You're kind of hip. with the program sometimes more than you give me credit for. You're very hip. You make fun of my suspenders and stuff like pocket watches. And I don't make fun of the cut I bet this gave me and stuff like that. I but. never make fun of you. Have I ever made fun of you? No, no. But you and Ro have a like, oh, let's see what he's going to like come up with now. It's not making <laughs> you know, fun of. It's kind of like an anticipatory entertainment. We're, we're fascinated by you. We, we, we like John and I look at you like you're the greatest thing since sliced North developed. Thank you, Rob. It's very kind. You all, you're, no one is kinder to me than the two of you are. We are the first two to sign up for your cult, for sure. We definitely are. And speaking of, you know, you were talking about your joy in being negative, but you, you have to admit, because you, you still maintain sometimes, like, do people actually listen? It was so nice to be in a town and have so many people come up to us and recognize us from the podcast, recognize us from the greetings from Italian America and ask us about what we're doing. And we met a lot of listeners. Who was the greatest listener? We met. I think we're going to have to give the the best listener award to Stephanie Yanati Picona, who uh, <laughs> found us in a sea of people at the big time. And, you know, it, and, and very Italianly stated, it's like, oh, I want to talk to Pat because he, he responds to me, unlike all of you. No, the best <laughs> comment was, come over, you don't even give me a hug. What kind of welcome is that? That was <laughs> yeah. the most Italian moment this podcast had ever had. <laughs> we have had a lot of listeners that we met. Uh, the first day we met Juliana Palma and 
you know, she was uh, so absolutely just heartwarming for us, her, her excitement and really great help. But we did get to meet one of our longtime listeners from day one who is a member of our new neighborhood and probably has been from the beginning and is uh, for those of you who are not in the new neighborhood group and uh, our membership group, you know, these listeners choose to support us and buy a membership and come in and we have conversations and we exchange different things. We, you know, talk to them about the show and they're like uh, sort of the super fans and Stephanie's a legend there in that neighborhood. Uh, she always grills us and she's like always got uh, the right, commentary and questions and it was so nice to meet stephanie in person so stephanie as we said there thank you for all of your support over the years and also for coming out and meeting us and i didn't realize that she lived so close to rosetto i for some reason i thought she was still in brooklyn and between brooklyn and florida but she was there and uh she's been there for a long time and it was just great and she did she said right away what do you mean you're not going to give me a hug and a kiss it was like she was right on you she does not know that for years i had plotted we were just going to show up at her house one day with a film crew (laughs) <laughs> I had said to John for years, we've got to get her a dress. We've got to get an Entenmann's cake and just show up and ring the doorbell. Because out of all her listeners, she's the one Italian who would know exactly how to handle that. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe they showed up. The house, but my dish towel is on the counter. Let me put that away. She would have put a, uh, uh, we would have had a pot of per coffee and a, and a tray of Entenmann's. I, for years, had wanted to, to, to just drop in. Stephanie, we still might do it. So just be prepared. That's a whole other show. Pat just showing up at people's houses. I, yeah. I thought of doing that. I was just showing up at listeners' houses and ringing the bell. Because people used to do that years ago. We've talked about that. We people used to just ring cake. your bell and hear company cake. Oh, I was passing through. Because in the years before cell phones, people would just get off the exit. Oh, I was coming back from a wedding. I thought I'd come and see you. I haven't seen you in so long. But Julia really, Julie, I have to thank from the bottom of my heart. I never got such a warm reception or a boost of confidence and support and appreciation of what we're doing as we did from Julie. Yes. She went out of her way. She was a, a huge fan. I cannot thank her enough for the personal support and the team support and making us feel totally welcome. It's the first time I ever felt like a rock star. And I'll tell you why I'm happy because Rosetto's probably the most Italian town in America. At least, you know, if you take its history and its background when, you know, when the study went in there in the fifties and, if it was going to happen, that was the place for it to happen. You know, you speak about Rosetto as the most Italian town in America and the amazing welcome. And the question that I had running through my mind the entire time is, you know, we've talked over the course of years that we've been on this show years before, just as friends about, you know, if you can identify the right town to make the sort of Italian American compound, right. And bring enough people. Cause I think there, there is a sizable population that would be interested in kind of living together and recreating that neighborhood village life. I think Rosetto might be the site of the compound, right? Am, am I am I the only one? I think so. I think we found it. Yeah, I think it has. It has all the. And I was saying to John is, you know, I hear from so many listeners that they live in parts of America in vast tracts of suburbia. They grew up in these vast tracts of suburbia where they never felt they were tethered to a community. And what I've learned traveling um, is northeastern Pennsylvania is dotted with real, true, authentic Italian communities. Yeah, it sure is. So if you're in the middle of somewhere in America that doesn't have that and you want to start your life over and you want to pack your kids up and move someplace like Jessup or someplace like Brazil, but you got to be nice. Don't come in and be bossy and annoying and demanding because they're not going to like you. They're going to want you to go home. 
So if you're if you're a bossy and demanding annoying person, better you stay where you are now. But that being said, it's a I would imagine you would term it as a great place to raise your kids. Yeah, I think so. And I, I, I would be interested to see if our listeners out there, you know, write us, let us know if we are being crazy or if there really is a realistic portion of the population that's looking for that kind of place. Because I know I think realistically we we all do all the time. And uh, Rosetto might just have it. It's an hour and a half from New York City, hour and a half from Philly, very close to a lot of the sites in northeastern Pennsylvania. And it's just got a lot to offer. It's just a really great place. And I we owe a, a gigantic grazie to the community for welcoming us in. And, you know, as we wrap here, I want to take another moment, even though we are celebrating on the high of coming home from such a great weekend, we do have to share a little bit of sad news with our audience. Uh, and it speaks to the wonderful Italian population of Northeastern Pennsylvania. So uh, on the other end of our glass, if you will, even though we're on Zoom for all these years has been the primate of the cult of Northeastern Pennsylvania's Italian community, Miss Stephanie Longo, Dr. Stephanie Longo. And, uh, you know, she came to us right before COVID started and basically said, uh, you're going to want to hire me. And she was right. And uh, Stephanie's been our associate producer and, and really backbone for so many years. And unfortunately, we have to announce it comes with great sadness that Stephanie is moving on to other challenges and opportunities in her career now that she is a doctor and uh, pursuing so much in the academic world. She's been published in major publications. She's speaking all over uh, the country and the world now and getting these invites. And not that I understand anything that you're doing out there, Steph, but uh, I know you're going to be a force for amazing things and a, a, a world-renowned expert on whatever that field is. Uh, you know, you've explained it to me a million times, but it's above my pay grade. But You're making uh, me cry, just so you know. Uh, don't cry. Well, we just want to say thank you on behalf of the three of us and Dolores and Anthony and all of our listeners out there, all of our neighbors in the new neighborhood for lending your amazing talents to us for all these years. And uh, even though you'll be going on to other professional pursuits, obviously you'll still be part of the neighborhood and part of the family. And uh, we just want to give you a big thank you. Well, thank you all for having me. It's been an honor to be a part of the team. This was not an easy decision to make. Um, when I was talking to John about it, I think 99.9% .9 of the conversation was me crying. So that just speaks to the level of how much I love these people and how much I'm really going to miss them. And um, yeah, if anybody wants to stay connected, I'm an open book. I would love to hear from everybody, um, especially when um, February comes along and I'm looking for survey respondents for my dissertation. So yes, please. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on um, legacy travel to Europe. That's actually what my dissertation's on and place branding. and. Um, I would never have had the confidence to go this far with this doctorate if it wasn't for the people that are on this call right now. Um, John, Pat, Rosella, um, the whole Italian American podcast family, you guys just really gave me a beautiful home and everything I do, um, you're part of it. And if you consider me family still, um, I consider you family still. So yes, um, I, I'm I'm going to cry. So <laughs> no, don't cry. No, of course we... Of course, yeah. we we always do. I, I know yeah. I can speak for all of us. And uh, you're on to bigger and better things. And we're going to be proud to be witnesses and uh, and supporters in those pursuits. And, and uh, obviously, there's always there's always a spot at the table for the family here at the Italian American podcast. So really, Steph, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for everything. And, uh, you know, obviously, we've got a couple of weeks of transitioning ahead of us, but wanted to make sure we shared with our audience uh, 
not only how much you've done and gave you the proper thank you, but also if you email Stephanie, it doesn't come right back. You know, <laughs> just be aware it's going to be a little bit of a transition. But uh, yeah, f- from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thank you. Won't be the same without you, Steph. No, it won't. Well, you all are still coming to my wedding, I hope. <laughs> that's right. Stephanie's wedding is coming up. That's a big, that's going to be a big, big Italian event. Northeastern Pennsylvania may rival yeah. the big time for sure. So, Definitely. you know, hesitate to <laughs> compare crowd counts because I'm sure it's going to be probably as big as the very appropriately named big time. I, I think I speak for all of us when I say we had a phenomenal weekend. Again, a massive thank you to everybody out there in the community of Rosetto and, and the areas around that welcomed us and made us feel like family. If I forgot anybody's name, uh, please forgive me. We just met so many wonderful people. Thankfully, many of you are in the same family. So uh, if we thank one, I hope we're thanking all. But uh, it was a weekend that I will remember for a very, very, very long time and hopefully get to recreate in the future. And you never know, maybe one day we will take this tribe and this digital new neighborhood that we've created and Maybe we'll create a new, new neighborhood, but back in brick and mortar in a beautiful place like Rosetto, Pennsylvania. So I hope you guys have enjoyed. Keep your eye on our video series on YouTube, Greetings from Italian America. This will be an episode that will come out, and we'll obviously announce it uh, further along when it does. But I think you're very much going to enjoy, as we did, our time in the great town of Rosetto. So from all of us here at the Italian American Podcast, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italiano 